Welcome to Clickbait and Switch, a marketing podcast that tries to cut through the bullshit and hook you up with what you need to know, what you don't, and what stories should be getting more love than they're getting. I'm Mark Delinsky on the other mic, Gisela Slizer. On today's show, Twitter and Snapchat form a more harmonious union. Facebook finally gets sued by the US government, and YouTube takes aim at the trolls. To start, Twitter and Snap. A match made in stories? <gasps> yeah, what's going on? <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember reading about Twitter launching Fleets a few weeks ago. I was aware. Yeah, so Fleets, for those of you who don't know, are stories that disappear within 24 hours within Twitter. So the Twitter version of Snapchat, basically. Yep. We all kind of rolled our eyes at this situation, felt a little bit late, among other things. But now we see that it was all part of a bigger landmark. So basically, now you can share your own tweets or somebody else's tweets using the share button in the Twitter app or the Twitter platform and share it straight onto Snapchat stories. So this was something people were doing. They were taking these tweets, they were putting them into their snaps and and kind of doing it on their own, right? This is like a formalized process where they've now made it so that Twitter goes into your snap as a sticker, then you can mix and match them with other stories. But then when you swipe on that tweet, you're going to get redirected from Snapchat back to Twitter. That is correct. It's like the ecosystems are getting more intricately linked together. So it's kind of classic story. You know, two guys in a garage build a social media platform, goes crazy, goes international. Users take it and make it their own and kind of hack the features that they want into it. And then the platform is like, okay, I'll give you the feature for real. But this is done in a more intricate way because they're really connecting Snapchat and Twitter. And Twitter is saying that they're testing the same feature for Instagram stories. Yeah, which is interesting. So now you're going to have Twitter. It's kind of like the whole TikTok getting shared everywhere else, but not really. Like the video is shared, but not necessarily the intricate being redirected back to the platform. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, the connection is not there directly. Like you can share your TikToks now directly onto Instagram stories or feed, not reels, interestingly. (laughs) Maybe they're working on that feature. But yeah, this is more, it's going to be a more seamless experience. Yeah, it's not like we haven't seen this before. People were downloading their Snap filters, putting them on Instagram stories. But then you obviously knew it was from Snapchat. Now TikTok gets downloaded and put on Instagram. Everybody knows what's going on here. But what's cool is that this is being formalized. My only question is, what's in it for Snapchat? That is a good question that I don't have the answer to right now. But I mean, I know for Twitter, for sure, it's tapping into the Snapchat audience. So I guess for Snapchat, it's tapping into the Twitter audience as well. A lot of people on Snapchat may have been Twitter users and moved out. Plus, there's younger generations on Snapchat that may have not used Twitter ever before. Uh, So it's a way for Twitter to reclaim their audience or to gain new ones. And for Snapchat, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's like a drug. They want to hook you in. You get a little taste of the Snapchat and then you want to stay and hang out a little more. We've recently seen them invest more into their creator program and content they're creating. So if you want to try it out, this feature is starting out on um, the iOS app and you're going to have to wait if you're an Android person. But uh, apparently it's coming. Moving on. The U.S. government has officially sued Facebook. Gisela, why is this bait? And what's happening? Okay. First of all, this is the result of, remember a few weeks ago, we saw the result of this 18-month-long investigation from the judiciary into big tech. So they really scrutinized Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. And now this is, I think this is the first action taken as a result of that. So now the U.S. government is formally suing 
Facebook for basically monopolizing the industry. Okay, so this is a major headline, but it's still kind of bait at the same time. Well, first of all, it's going to take forever forever so until we see anything come out of this and any effect it's going to take a long long time but also this long long time it takes it buys time for facebook to make it harder for anybody to split it up so one of the possible outcomes of this is that the government says you need to split instagram has to be its own thing whatsapp its own thing facebook its own thing but now facebook is really connecting for example its messenger tool so all three tools are completely connected into one, which would make it a lot harder to split up technically. This is one example of what they can do. And in the meantime, which is so last week, they bought customers, so they keep buying. Yeah, it's not slowed them down any. They continually expand their offering and integrate everything into one sort of whole element under the big umbrella of Facebook. Right. So yeah, I'm not too, I, I don't know. I didn't see too much future of this yet. We'll see maybe in a year or two. It's a big deal, but we're going to have to wait to see what fruit is born from this. But it's interesting as Bill Gates made a comment last year that if Microsoft had not been distracted by the government antitrust laws that started in 1998, you know, for him, he believes that Windows and, and not Google's Android could have been the world's most popular smartphone system, which is kind of interesting that, you know, he's still got a bit of a grudge. Yeah, that's true, Mark. Super interesting that looking back, he feels that that really slow them down. So that may be the case for Facebook as well. We'll see. All right, let's get into the story that we've been sort of tracking for a couple weeks now, and that is YouTube introducing a new feature to address toxic comments. This is obviously a conversation that the two of us talk about quite a lot, working in marketing, working with all of these different platforms. There are a lot of places where people can comment on things, and it is not very polite. You know, the troll armies out there who like to make people's lives miserable by saying terrible, horrible things. You know, some obviously done on purpose, some less so. But this is probably the first formalized attempt by one of the major players to put some thought back into the power of social media and how to, let's say, protect the well-being of some of its creators. Yes. Okay, so first we should explain what's going on, right? What YouTube is doing. So they're coming up with a feature where if they think that the comment you're about to say sounds abusive in some way, they give you a pop-up and they ask you to think about it and reconsider before posting because the comment can be hurtful. So it's a little bit like Twitter did this, I think this year also, where they asked you to read before you retweet. It's a little bit like that. Yeah, the Twitter one is really was, I think, based on that whole election period spreading of fake information or... Yeah, and same with COVID, right? Yeah. It was that whole thing about um, thinking about before spreading news that may or may not be true. Well, because Twitter really, in that instance where, you know, did you read this before you retweet, they put the onus on the, the poster, like the person who actually is sending it out. But Twitter's really gotten into the habit of, especially with COVID, especially during the election and a lot of Donald Trump's, you know, outlandish things, we're putting a little disclaimer saying like, this is debatable, basically, right along the bottom. Whereas this one is, I feel it is telling the people who are writing those comments like, hey, this, this might be a stupid ass thing for you to say. This might be hurtful. But there are other things that they're that they're doing for the creators that might help out their overall mental health. Yeah, like they're also beginning to test a filter that allows creators to avoid having to even read some of the hurtful comments on their channel that have been automatically held back. So it's a two-way process. The 
ask the poster to reconsider, the poster may not give a shit and post anyway the comment. So they give a chance to the creator to not read it if they don't want to. Because think about like creators that have hundreds of thousands of comments. It can be very hurtful when you start to read hundreds that are negative, even over little things. It, the accumulation can be very detrimental for your emotional and mental health. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people you hear, you know, I think I've heard Mark Maron talk about this and, and other creators that like, you can have thousands of things that'll be super nice about what you've done. But then there's going to be that one comment where it's like, oh, you look like pig on stilts. And you're like, oh, my God. And it just ruins all of the other sort of positive equity that's been built up. But then at the same time, you're starting to infringe on free speech of the users. That is correct. It's a very, very fine line that we're going to have to learn to walk and figure out somehow where does my freedom end and yours begin and where is it acceptable for them to overlap? It's a very touchy thing. Same with what comments are banned or not banned, what content is allowed to show up on Instagram feeds and what content is not. Like, But at the same time, I'd argue it's a big discussion in the abstract. But in reality, these are private companies who can do whatever they want with the content that appears on their platform. Very, very true. So they can say, whatever, this is not appropriate. It's gone. This video doesn't meet our standards. It's gone. What's interesting is YouTube is someone who actively seems to be projecting at least that they care. Yes. And I do appreciate the pause, right? I think the pause is important just from, I kind of get this out of my head, but I was sitting next to my 13 year old niece in a movie theater back before COVID where we could do that. And before the movie started, she was just kind of going through her Instagram feed and she was automatically liking all of her friends' photos, liking, like, 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 like she wasn't even looking at what she was endorsing. And to me, like is an endorsement, right? It means that I saw it, I read about it, I approve, the source is correct. You know, there are so many things that I consider before hitting the like button, whereas for her generation, it's just an automatic like smile or something. Yeah. And maybe it's just a generational difference. But at the same time, I think it's important to teach the younger kids about thinking about where information is coming from, because it can become very, very loose. <laughs> and also that their words have power. Totally. Just because you're hiding behind the screen or not hiding, but you're sitting behind the screen behind a phone doesn't mean that the wars don't have power. Is that it? I think that's it after a life lesson for the younger <laughs> generations. After dropping that enough. truth bomb for the coming generations. I think that's it. Thanks to Cloud Rager for providing support for the podcast. We should state, obviously, these opinions are our own. Other than that, any last words, Gisela? Happy holidays. That's right. And to you and the rest of our listeners, all 10 of you, thank you very much for listening. And we hope you have a wonderful time with your loved ones. Oh, yeah. And for next year resolutions, I would add, listen to more clickbait and switch and share it with your friends. See if you like it. Cool. Thanks. Bye.